Can we thank the band, guys? That's awesome. In addition to the band, we have a whole media team up there. We guys running sound back there. Can we thank them? I love it. One of the fun parts about coming in on Sunday mornings early as I get to is I get to see them, interact with them. They love each other. It's so exciting to be with them as they're preparing to help us in worship today. Hey, it's supposed to be Doug Baker today, but guess what? He canned on you guys. Um, actually, he's got strep throat. I talked to him yesterday morning. He called me yesterday morning and said, uh, Steve. And uh, he uh, sounds a little bit like a frog on Norco. So uh, he was in rough shape. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So what, what do you want? Uh, Bill's leaving town, and you're it, bro. I'm like... All right, all right, we'll do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Doug, if you're watching, get better, brother, because I don't want to do this next week. <laughs> Just kidding. I love it. It's great fun. So, um, I'm with a group of guys on Thursday mornings at 6 o'clock. Some of the guys are in here. I saw them here already. Some are sitting way back there. They're still trying to catch up on their sleep. And uh, we're going through the book of Titus together right now. And the book of Titus is a little bit like talking about the United States because he's talking about the island of Crete and Cretans. And Paul says in there, he quotes one of their poets, and he says, Cretans are liars, they're brutes, they're gluttons. And then he goes on to talk about how there's false teaching, and he begins to talk about how uh, these people are really in deep weeds. They're in darkness. That's like us, y'all. Um, that's where it's at. But then, after this, he says, okay, Titus, you're my man. You, you, I want you to go through and appoint elders. And then he tells the qualifications for an elder. They're not like this. They're like this. And there's all of this character of what they're supposed to be above reproach, meaning nobody can see anything wrong in their life. Wow. So, and then he goes through and gives all these amazing, amazing things of what they're supposed to be. And then at the end of it, he says, <clears throat> now listen, those guys, you guys who are leaders, now you need to go through and help people because a lot of people are in, they're buried in false teaching. Sounds like America. They're, they're buried in a bunch of lies and things that aren't true. And, and I'm thinking all this time, I'm going, wow, those are really high qualifications. What a tough job. Then in chapter two, he gets to this place. He invades our life. He gets really kind of personal with all of us. He goes category by category. Old, older men, I guess that's me, right? Uh, 71, is that older? I guess it is, right? Uh, older men, older women, by the way, don't be offended. That's Paul's words. I'm not saying that about y'all. I'm just saying older women. Then he goes younger men and then slaves. So, when you look at it, older men, you're supposed to be above reproach. And I'm like, wow, you're supposed to be dignified. You're supposed to be self-controlled. Uh, older women, not only are they supposed to live reverently, but they are supposed to be teaching the younger women as well. Like they're not busy enough, they're also supposed to do that. Then the one that's really amazing, he goes to slaves. And slaves, he tells them a little bit about their behavior. And then he says, look, it's your job to give people a positive impression of the truth of the Word of God. I'm like, wow, that's slaves he's telling that to. And so here's where I'm at. 
I get to this place and I'm with these guys and I'm supposed to know this, but I, I'm still learning it. But how is that possible to do that in my life? I mean, I don't know about you. I wasn't raised to know any of these things. I didn't learn them as a young man. And even until I was in college did I even start following Jesus. So when is that supposed to take place? When is my character supposed to be above reproach? Like, really, somebody could look at my life, anybody who knows me would go, yeah, right. Um, I can think of plenty of things that would be not above reproach in his life. So what is God asking us to be, to do? I mean, it just feels impossible. It feels overwhelming to me sometimes. And I do get overwhelmed sometimes, and sometimes I feel like I've just lost God's favor completely. So what is God saying to us? How is that possible? Look, can we pray for a moment as we start this? Lord God, I, I know you have called us to a life different than our world. This life, Lord God, doesn't look anything like what I thought of as a young person. And still, as I look around, there's tough days for me to follow you, to trust you. And I'm asking, Lord God, Will you teach us today, what does it look like? How is it possible? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday, Doug Baker um, talked, walked through Ezra chapter 3. I hope you guys really, I mean, that was really powerful to me. So the Israelites, they've been out of the land for 70 years. They've been in captivity in Babylonia. Wow. And now they've been released. They're getting back. And Ezra is one of their leaders. And they're beginning, they get back, and as Doug walked through, um, they began to worship together right away. They came together, you remember? And then they began to worship, and their lives began to change. <clears throat> and so Doug tied that into something. He tied that into us at Trinity. He called it, eh, we're sort of in a new beginning like they were in a new beginning. And I thought, oh, wow, I guess I'd never really thought of it that way, but he's exactly right. It, a lot of change. Come on, guys. The last three years, these have been bonker years, really crazy. Uh, I mean, to some degree, new beginnings are always true but for God's family, but for right now, for us, as a family, things have changed a lot, and so we're in new beginnings. I, I thought of this, um, I thought of my sister, Vicki. If you know my sister, Vicki, I just can't help but smile when I say her name, because Vicki is funny. She's She's just a funny person. Um, she's a lot of fun to be around stuff, but her life has been tragic. In the last year, just a little over a year, she had a grandson who she really loves, but who has mental disabilities, and he tried to kill her. He stabbed her multiple times, stabbed her husband multiple times. Fortunately, it was a very small knife and, and a very dull knife, and so they're okay. So they go to the hospital, but then while they're in the hospital getting fixed from this, they say, hey, what's this lump on her husband? Turns out he has cancer. So her husband died uh, a year ago. So her life's really changed a lot. But not only that, this grandson that she loves, he went to prison. And she loves this guy, and she has been his advocate all the way through all the court trials, saying, look, it's a mental disability. This is the only reason it happened to him. 
So not only did that change, but her job just changed. She's worked at the regional center in Fresno for many, many years. She's high up with them. And then they just changed her boss. They changed her job. They, they gave her all these extra work. My sister's 69. Oh, she's going to kill me that I said that. <laughs> she's 69. That's a lot of change, you all. And so she, in some ways, is in a new beginning. And I'm glad to tell you, she loves Jesus. She follows Jesus. And um, she has seen this for what it is, that it's God at work. And so she really believes that she is in a new beginning. And so she has invited her granddaughter, her 19-year-old granddaughter, to come and live with her. And she now gets to influence her granddaughter because of all of these changes that have taken place in her life. <clears throat> my sister's a funny person, a fun person. In a recent conversation, my dad's 93, and it's her dad too. And in a conversation with her, with her dad, he was telling her that he's got prostate problems. And, she's, he, and she says, oh, no, Dad. And, and he said, well, it's okay. It just comes with age. And she said, is that something I need to be worried about? <laughs> That's my sister. Yeah. So all of this stuff is going on in life, right? So let me ask you a question. I laid out for you what the book of Titus says how we're supposed to live. And it is, wow, it is amazing. How is that possible? What motivates you? What keeps you going to follow Jesus in not only new beginnings, but in the hard stuff of life? So I want to look at the book of Titus with you, chapter 2, after he's told all of these things about older men, older women, younger men, slaves. Then he tells us something that I think we all need to learn in our lives. Chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. By the way, Justin is doing the slides today, and I just shot off a whole bunch of slides to Sherry Blakey yesterday. Thank you, Sherry, for putting them up. Um, he's never going to be able to follow these, so if he's like, he's not on the right slide. Well, it's my fault. So, the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people instructing us, it teaches us to say no to godliness, to deny ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then he says this, he finishes with this, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, eager to do good works. Guys, that is a, 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 it's a loaded passage. I've asked the guys in my group to memorize this passage, and we have, and we're, we're in it, and, and this next week is our testing week where we get to spin the pen and see who can say it right. But I believe that this passage is about living between two appearances. You saw the first appearance, the appearance of the grace of God that came with Jesus Christ. And then there's another appearance coming, the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, we live between those two appearances, and it's a tough life. 
It was never, ever meant to be an easy life. Jesus said it wouldn't be an easy life. That's where we live. We live between those two. So in another way, um, we're between the world and heaven because we're in the world and we see how they're living and we're not to live like them. How can we possibly do that? What's going to keep us motivated? What's going to keep us going? Now, it's interesting um, that for emphasis, Paul starts us, the very first word in the Greek is the word appearance. Um, Paul put the word appearance as the first word because he wants it to be emphasized. Look, um, and it's the word epiphany. It's a word that we use as well. It means something that was not seen before and has now been seen, and that was true of Jesus. Jesus came into the world full of darkness. He brought grace and truth to us, and he came. He said he would die. He did. He said he would rise again. He did, and then he went back to the Father, so he's hidden again, and there's going to be another epiphany. He's going to come again, but we live in between those times, and there's a lot of challenge in between those times, so Let's look at the key word here is the word grace. The grace, grace means unearned merit. It means you live in the favor of God even though you didn't in any way deserve it. You didn't, I have, I have a, a neighbor that um, <clears throat> he and I have had conversations over the years and he was telling me about how good a father he had and how his dad was just such a good man. And he comes from a different background than what we are. And I asked him, I just kind of point blank asked him, I said, so do you think he'll be in heaven? He said, oh, yeah. I said, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm glad. And I said, hey, you know, we don't earn it, right? And he goes, yeah. About five minutes later, we're still talking. He goes, coach, he calls me coach. Coach, what do you mean? He used other language. What do you mean that we don't earn it? Well, we don't. It's grace. God has just, that's the character of God is grace. And so many times when we think about grace, we, we think about, um, well, it's, it's, that means being nice to someone. No, it means that we didn't earn anything in our status with God. And that's probably not news to many of you. It's probably some of you, many of you knew that already. I remember so well, I, I got to go be with uh, Bill and Maria this morning as they're, they're going on to paradise. That still sounds weird, doesn't it? <clears throat> and um, when I was with them, I was remembering, oh my gosh, I remember making the video story of Maria coming into their lives because they adopted Maria. And I was thinking, Maria didn't do anything to earn the privilege of being in the Bourne family. She did nothing. They just loved her even though they'd never known her. And that's the way it is with our God. Our God loves us unconditionally. We, nothing that we could do. Now, salvation is an interesting word. I've asked no less than 50 people what it means to be saved. And I get all kinds of answers. What it means, literally from the Bible, is it means to be rescued from the wrath of God, which is what we deserved. And so we see this grace just right out of the chute. Paul says, the grace of God has appeared it, 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 it came in. It, it made itself visible. And it offers salvation to all people. Now, that's our starting place today, guys. So, first of all, we live in a grace-based world. We, the, the grace of God appeared with salvation for all people. The second thing that he makes here is that the grace of God instructs us to be like him in character. The grace of God instructs us to be like him in character. 
So look at this with me. It says it teaches us to say it, being grace, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's the in-between time. That's where we are right now. So my first question is, how does grace teach us? What is it supposed to be teaching us? Well, um, it's teaching us to be like God, to have character like God. I'm like, oh, that's easy. No problem. <laughs> Next. <clears throat> so <clears throat> it made me think a little bit of, of a little kid who was uh, drawing a picture. And his mom came up and said, oh, uh, what, what are you drawing there, son? He said, I, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, oh, well, well son, no, nobody knows what God looks like. They will when I get done. And I am supposed to look like God? I'm just like, wow. So let's take a look at a couple of things. And then I want to see how this possibly. By the way, um, when we look at this, um, I want you to not be overwhelmed. Because I can get overwhelmed by these things uh, sometimes. So grace instructs us by reminding us that we live in God's favor. And we're going to talk about that all the way through here. And um, by extending grace to us when we fail and when we grow. That's, when, that's what, one of the things that, that grace does in our life. I call it the grace walk. And we're going to talk about the grace walk all through this. But let me just introduce you to this word, this phrase. You guys remember in John chapter 21, um, Jesus is back with the disciples. He's on the shore and he's making fish. And they're catching a whole 153 fish again and bringing it in and everything. One of the most significant things in the Gospels, in my mind, I love this story, is he takes Peter aside and he says, come on, walk with me, Peter. So Peter's with him. And if you remember that Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And he feels horrible for it, right? And Jesus does a grace walk with Peter. He tells Peter, Peter, you're still, you're still mine. I want you to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And Jesus walks with Peter and restores him fully, not a little bit, completely shows him that he has the full favor of God. That's a grace walk, and that's how we're supposed to live. So let's look through and see what that grace walk is supposed to do in our life. It's a progression, by the way, as we walk down through here, we're going to see three things. Salvation's by grace. Transformation, that's us, change, is by grace. And then we get a chance to demonstrate grace. That's our life. So where does God teach us grace? He teaches transformation of character. First of all, look, teaches us to deny ungodliness. It's it's translated different worlds, different ways, but literally it means to, to not be godly. No, godly is not a word we use anymore. We don't think about the word godly. The word godly means, it's eusebion is the Greek word. It means to live as before your leader. It means I live before him. I am thinking of him through my day. It means to be fully devoted to him in my, mar my mind, my heart, my actions. And that's what a godly person is. So we're supposed to deny that because ungodliness is the problem of everything else. Because when I stop living before the Lord, I start living in the world. I start living like the world. And so we're called to live this different life, this 
we're supposed to deny this ungodliness that's in our life. Guys, it's how the world lives, right? All we have to do is, I, I, would, I don't even like to do this anymore. I one time challenged myself to, to study the news every day for a week and try to keep track of what was ungodly in our world. It was, by the second day, I stopped. It was overwhelming. I, I just I couldn't even begin to think of it. But we're not to be like that. We're to be like God. And there's only one way that I know to do that, and that's in a grace walk because ungodliness is the root problem in my life. It causes everything else that's going on. But um, <clears throat> the second thing we're to deny is worldly lusts or worldly passions. Is that a problem in our world? That's the outgrowth of ungodliness. So worldly lusts are pre so prevalent. Remember Daniel Kim talked about idolatry a couple of weeks back. That really struck me. I was really thinking about that a lot. And then he said, you're not supposed to bring idols into church. And we're bringing ourselves into church. Because if we're not living before God every, time, every moment, if we're not living, and I don't mean to be like, nervous about this, but I mean, if I'm not waking up in my day and saying, God, I'm, I want to walk with you today, then very often I kind of begin to drift, and I drift into idolatry, because it becomes about me, my comfort, my fun, my whatever I want, what I'm trying to get done, about whatever it is, it becomes about me, I am my own idol at that point. So worldly lusts, they're all over in our lives, right? And we all have them. We all, I remember so well, when I was younger, I had a bit of a temper at times. And I would, but I'll tell you what I really, really hated was bullies. Um, I went to a junior high that got bullied a lot in junior high. And in my junior high, if you didn't fight a certain amount, you ended up just being bullied constantly. And I didn't like to fight, but everybody had to. You had to get in some. So I got this, honestly, I still have this inside of me. Um, when I read about how evil people are, especially like human trafficking and stuff, it makes me want to become a vigilante. It makes me want to buy a high-powered rifle and find those guys. But the truth of the matter is, that's not God's way either. I remember so well, coming back from school at one point, I'd been away at school, and I knew that my dad was going to ask me to take a leadership position in our company. We owned uh, 10 supermarkets and a number of other things and hundreds of employees and stuff. And I knew my dad was going to have some role for me. He said, by the way, one of our stores is really short on help right now. Would you mind going and helping out? And I went, hey, no, I'll be there. So I'm there for a short while. And one of the evenings, I got, got sick. I'm up front on the register. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to get to the bathroom fast. And... Uh, and so I, I waved a friend over and I said, hey, great, can you jump on the register? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I ran back to the little register, the little bathroom that's in the back of the back room. And when I walk out, the guy who's the night manager was standing literally like this. And he was a big guy, about 6'3", weighed about 260. And he was like, mm, had this mean look on his face. And he said, I don't care what your name is. You will never leave your register without my permission. And he literally walked up and belly bumped me. I'm like, hmm, okay, so bite my tongue, like, okay. A few days later, I walk back into the same store, but now I'm wearing a full suit. Now I'm the director of personnel for the whole corporation. <laughs> <clears throat> Is Tom here? Oh, I didn't ask for him. I walked in. I saw Tom walk out the back room door. He saw me. He turned right around and walked away. 
just fast as he could, just like, and you know, honestly, inside of me, my flesh, my worldly passion wanted to take it out on him. My, I wanted to say, dude, you lost your role. But the Lord protects us, and I, I'm telling you, that took a lot for the Lord to protect us. So this passage teaches us that the grace of God is supposed to instruct us in denying worldly passions. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I thought about this a lot, and I believe that, honestly, when we understand the grace of God in our lives, when we understand how wonderful God is, that changes us. But I also did something else. I called my friend Mike. I called my friend Mike Saladin, as many of you know, and he works with a lot of brothers who are asking God to work on their character all the time. And I said, what do you think, Mike? What am I going to tell people tomorrow? about how to deny these passions. Well, he said, you know what? Um, what God wants is intimacy with him. What he wants is for us to see how wonderful, how beautiful, how amazing he is. And he said, when we look, the more we look at how beautiful God is, the more we want to become like him. So John Piper said, finding the Lord so much more beautiful than the things that he has made is how that begins to change in our lives. Mike said, when I've seen and I'm convinced of God's goodness, sin looks insane. So guys, I want to suggest this. The more that we look at the character of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the more he can, his grace works to instruct us to, to go away from those things. They're empty, they're futile. I mean, many of the Psalms say, better is one day in your courts, right? David said at one place, only you satisfy my soul as with the richest of foods. And so all of these things that we're looking to, none of them satisfy. None of them actually, you know, we, we, we look at all these things that we think are going to make us feel better or make our lives in some way enriched or feel something different. They don't work. We need to take the grace walk with our Lord. When I am tempted, I have to remember, Lord, you are amazing, beautiful, wonderful. You love me unconditionally. I'm yours forever. Will you help me? Will you give me the strength right now? Will your spirit just come in and help me deny? And that's what our, our Lord has told us we're going to do. That's what this passage says, that we're, we're able to deny at that point. I want to mention two more things. One, we're not meant to do this alone. Can I tell you that all my young years as a disciple, so, so often, I was doing it alone. I mean, I was with a group of guys. We were doing a Bible study, but I wasn't really talking about my life with anybody. I mean, I didn't learn to do that from my, my family or from anybody else. And so I never told them what I was going through. Look, the most neglected command in the Bible is to confess your sins to one another. It's such a weird thing for us, guys. We're more concerned about what he thinks, she thinks, than we are about what God thinks. Look, when we get real with each other, when we encourage each other in the grace of God, we can, over, we can overcome. We can actually begin to look like God himself. Last of all, I want to just mention one other thing we can do. Our Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. Cry out to God for grace when you're tempted by those things of this world. 
So while he's also teaching us what not to do, what to deny, he's also teaching us what to do. Remember, it says we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present time. Well, um, those, are, those are three things. So the first thing is inward. We're to be self-controlled. We're supposed to actually let the grace of God uh, occupy place in our minds and our hearts. Secondly, we're to live outward. We're to live righteous lives. And thirdly, we're to live a godly life, and that's our upward life. And so when you think about taking the grace walk with God, ask him, what's going on, God, in my life? Is this an inward thing? Is it me? Is there something in me? Is it an outward thing? It's something I'm doing outside, or is it an upward thing? I'm just not keeping my eyes on you. That's the calling that we have on our life. How do we do that? I really believe it's the grace of God that's teaching us to do that. Now, look, what, look, at, look at the transformation that takes place in our life. So, thirdly, the grace of God instructs us to live in confident hope of Jesus' return. I don't know about you, but when I first came to Jesus, one of the very first thing, books I ever read was The Late Great Planet Earth, <laughs> Hal Lindsey. And so I heard that Jesus was coming back. I, my wife reminds me that I told her the date. <laughs> uh, really? How do you know this? Well, I've studied the Bible. The Bible says this, this, and this, and it's so many days and so many years on this, and so I gave her the date. I didn't tell anybody else, but I told her, and she often reminds me, hey, uh, remember when you told, yeah, I do, remember, whatever. But it's so, it so excited me that Jesus was coming back, and it excited me because of what he brings. Now, look at this with me for a minute here. So while, while God is teaching us, and while we're waiting for his second appearing, we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting is hard, guys, right? Um, I mean, I've, people, uh, I've read this. People wait all week for Friday. They wait all year for vacation. And then they wait all their life for happiness. We're kind of in a waiting game all the time. That's the natural way of the world. But the world wait here is, by the way, is not my favorite. By the, there's two kinds of people, right? So there's the people who wait. They fold their hands and... They're all calm and everything. And then there's me, right? So I do well with a fidget toy, a smartphone, a Game Boy, a Kindle. Uh, anything is better than just sitting there and waiting. And there's two kinds of people, right? My wife's the first kind. I'm the second. Or the other way around. I'm not sure which it is. Um, anyway, so two kinds of people. But the good news is that's not the kind of waiting that he's talking about here. What he, here's what he means. Waiting is an active part of living in this present age. This was never meant to put us in neutral. This was never meant to be pause. Actually, waiting is really anticipating. It's expecting. It's preparing. It's getting ready because he is coming. But what I love is when it describes what comes with him throughout the Bible, with him comes our salvation, eternal life. This, with him comes the saints that we missed, who loved and that we haven't seen in a long time. The rewards come with him. Justice comes with him. Healing comes with him. No more pain comes with him. Conquering the nations comes with him. All of that comes with him. So we're preparing. We're anticipating. And uh, I don't know about you, but that does something to me when I think of that's what I'm here for in these, between these two times, is that's how we're called to live. Again, how do we do that? Well, waiting is not only active, 
But waiting is also a, a, a spiritual place to put yourself in. If I wake up every day and I say, Lord God, I'm yours today. Put, put whoever you want in front of me. I'm ready to serve. Lord God, I'm yours today. Would you use me? Would you have the Holy Spirit prompt me when I'm supposed to pay attention to something? Prompt me when I'm supposed to speak? And this is the harder one. Prompt me when I'm supposed to not speak? So if I really believe that, I'm here. We're here temporarily. It's only a short while. We've got a lot to do. Our Lord has called us to, to this kind of to be these kind of people and then this many tasks, Lord, I'm yours today. That's active waiting. What that means is he's going to use me today. So <clears throat> I want to, um, I want to walk, grace walk with Jesus before he returns. I don't want to wait till he comes back and go, oh, Lord, God, I'm, uh, yeah, I had a lot of opportunities missed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know I spoke ill to this person or whatever. I don't want to do that. I want to grace walk with him now in, in the in-between time, right? Because this is only a short while. We don't know. He may come during this service. Some of you are already praying. I hope he does. <laughs> so I just want to just suggest to you that waiting is active. It's preparation, right? Now, let me tell you what happens to me sometimes is I misplace my hope. Hope is in him, but I misplaced my hope. My hope sometimes is, man, I hope the legislatures do something better this time. I hope for better politicians, or I hope for better decisions about this, or I hope for better entertainment, or I hope for better amusement. Don't, don't hope for those things, guys. None of those things are going to satisfy. They don't satisfy me, at least. So our hope is in the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. Fourth and lastly, God's grace in Jesus Christ is preparing us to be a people for his own possession. Does that sound good? He's, we're his, and he's preparing us to be his. And look what he's done, the Lord Jesus. He gave himself to redeem us. That means he bought us back from the slave market. We were enslaved to sin. He bought us back. And from, from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a, piece, a people that are his very own. Man, I don't know about you, but I love that. I, I, I can't think of any better thing than that right there. I'm, I'm going to be his, and we're going to be with him. Now, look at a couple of things with me here. The bottom line, we're living between two appearances, right? Redeemed by grace, taught under the grace of God. He's trying to bring about his character and his we're waiting for the final chapter of grace to come about, the return of the Lord Jesus. And now we're living now eager to do good works. Why are we eager? Because of what we just read. We're eager because we're his. We're eager because we're in grace. We're eager because he's still teaching us. A lot of us, we all have plenty to learn. We all have plenty of growth there. But if I grace walk with him, it doesn't feel oppressive like, oh my goodness, Lord God, I can't handle this burden. Guess what? He walked with Peter. He says, come on, come on, come on, Peter, you're mine. Walk with me. And that's how we need to do our life. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that I need to remember is that I'm living, I'm supposed to live in the remembrance of the grace that God has already shown me. 
Chapter 3, verse 3, I'll read it to you. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That was us before grace. So now, God has transformed us. We're eager to do the good works of God. We're eager to become like God because of the grace of God. I believe it all happens because of a grace walk with our Lord Jesus. But I want to, let me, let me mention something to you. I'm going to take just a moment. One of the big crises in our world right now is our identity crisis. It's leading people into all kinds of search modes that are harmful, search modes that are hurting them, hurting our world, keeping them from knowing the Lord Jesus. It's so sad to me. But listen just from this one passage alone, who I am. I'm saved from the wrath of God. I'm under grace the rest of my life. I'm growing and being taught the character of God. I'm expecting Jesus' glorious return. I'm redeemed and no longer a slave. I'm one of Jesus' very own. I'm here to do good works. I'm here to grace walk with Jesus. Some of us have some homework to do, guys. Let me just mention this to you. Some of you have never really understood grace in your life yet. It took me years. Honestly, it took me years. Do, uh, do you really believe that you are right with God? Do you really believe you have his favor? I've gone through whole nights I remember staying up a whole night writing out all of my sins that I could remember my whole life. My wife woke up the next day and she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm remembering. And she goes, no. She said, you've taught this so many times. You're under grace. Some of you need to do the homework of understanding what that means. Have you truly chosen to love and follow the Lord Jesus? If you have, you are fully under his grace. If not, choose that today. Choose it today. Secondly, some of us are living, what are we, what's our motivation? What are we inspired by? Um, am I seeing the character of God growing in me? Am I zealous to do his good works? If you don't feel that way, it could be you haven't really looked into the face of God, the beauty of who he is. When God describes himself in Exodus 34, he begins with about himself saying, I am a God that's compassionate and full of grace. That's our God. And thirdly, are you actively waiting for Jesus' return with hope? Are you making every day count? Are you zealous to do his good works? I have a friend who um, every time uh, I'll say, hey, I'll call this guy, and I'll say, hey, um, i got to kind of fix this kind of thing. You might stop by my house. Would you mind sometime to stop by and help me figure out how to do this? He'd go, anything for the Sprinksteads. That's what he always says. I wonder if we feel that way. Anything for the Lord Jesus. We're going to be with him soon. He's shown me grace. Let's live like that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, boy. Um, you know how many years I've wrestled with this. How many years, Lord God, I have thought over and over and over. 
that I've lost your favor because I didn't see your prayer answered or because I failed again. I failed you again and again. <clears throat> Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the grace that you've shown to me, to us, that no matter how many times we've failed, you still invite us to take the walk with you. You still invite us into the garden to tell us again that you love us, that we're yours forever. Lord God, I pray that you would impress that upon us in our hearts, our minds, and in our actions this week. In Christ's name, amen.